So I'm going to say hello to you. My name is Pastor Joe. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And if you're watching at home on Facebook Live because the snow kept you from being able to be here, I just want to say welcome to you as well. We're glad that you are tuning in. And to get us going where we're going to be going this morning and in this sermon series, I want to start by telling you a story. Once upon a time, I liked a girl. I was 17 years old, and she was an older woman. I was still in high school. She had gone off to college, and I wanted to get her to like me back. Unfortunately, I'd like to tell you that I had a ton of game when I was in high school, but this is being recorded, and people who knew me when I was in high school might be watching, and so I just need to own it. I had no game. I admit it. But in the absence of game, I did have a game plan. This is what I was going to do to get her to like me back, to catch her attention. I was going to make her chocolate fudge and mail it to her at college. Sound like a great idea in my head. So I get out the Better Taste of Home cookbook out of the cupboard, and I quickly set about capturing the heart of my high school crush. And sure enough, a few hours later, I was pulling out of the refrigerator a dark, smooth, how could she possibly resist me pan of fudge. And I cut it up, and and I was going to get it ready to package it up and send it to her. But before I did that, I had to know what would she experience when she received this at school. So the year was 1998. If you can imagine with me, Aerosmith began playing in the background. And I lifted that rich morsel of love to my mouth, and I began to imagine she would go to her mailbox, And she would find that she had a mysterious package from a mysterious man. Who is the secret admirer her? She would open up the card and it was Joey Flores. And her heart would leap inside her because in my imagination, she had a crush on me for years. She'd open the box and the smell of freshly disclosed affection would aroma up to her nose. And then she would take that symbol of budding romance in cubed confectionery form And she would lift it to her mouth. And she would suddenly experience the taste of... (laughs) It tasted nothing like budding romance. It tasted like I licked a sweaty armpit. It tasted... It did. It tasted like a mouth full of salt water. I couldn't figure out what, what had I done wrong. And I went back to my recipe. And that's when I realized that the recipe called for one quarter teaspoon of salt and I saw in the drawer the quarter teaspoon measuring device nice and safe and unused but in the sink waiting to be washed with the salt like crust about it was the quarter cup measuring (laughs) device I cannot remember if I remade the fudge and sent it to her. Probably I just took it as a sign of God that she was not the one. He intervened, right? Because, well, I mean, she would have loved me back for sure with the fudge in her mailbox. And I'm happily married today, and my wonderful wife's name is Trisha, and my crush's name was not. (laughs) So so I tell you this story because we're going to spend our time in the next few weeks talking about salt. We're we're jumping into a new sermon series, and salt's going to be kind of a metaphor for what we're talking about. And as you can imagine, it's not a sermon series about how to get a girlfriend. Pastor Danny will share that next week. (laughs) 
we're going to be talking about sharing our faith. Now, you might be here this morning and you, you say, hey, I've, I've placed my faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're saying, hey, I'm wrestling with where my faith really lies. Wherever you're at, you can probably ask yourself the question, what in the world does salt have to do with sharing my faith with others? It turns out, according to Jesus, it has a lot to do with sharing our faith. And we're going to see in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus uses this metaphor of salt to help us get an idea of what we're to be like in the world around us as we take our faith to those around us who do not share our faith. So this morning, if you want to grab your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. But to get where we're going to be going in verse 13, we have to back up a few verses and find out what's been going on here that leads Jesus to say what he says about salt. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, right at the end, Matthew's telling us about all these amazing things that Jesus is doing. You think about it, you know, Jesus is going around, he's performing miracles, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, and Jesus is becoming really, really popular. In fact, in fact, Matthew says this, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Our modern day translation might be that Jesus was becoming a rock star, People were coming from everywhere they could to see him. His daily subscribers were increasing exponentially. The tickets were all sold out. Everybody that could get there wanted to be there because of Jesus. And Matthew tells us that Jesus didn't miss the crowds. In fact, he said, now when Jesus saw the crowds, Jesus was aware of the crowds. And when Matthew says this, it kind of leaves us wondering, what's he going to do next? Is he going to go to the crowds and he's going to sign some autographs, maybe take some selfies that people can put on their Instagram page? And we're going to see that Jesus actually does something that would have driven his publicity agent crazy. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. So just when he's becoming popular and people are clamoring for access to him, Jesus makes himself less accessible. And then Matthew writes, his, his disciples came to him. He goes up on a mountainside, the crowds are clamoring for him, and his disciples come to him. Now, don't miss the change in audience. Crowds are pursuing him. He goes on a mountainside, his disciples came to him. It's a subtle shift, but it really is going to have a significant uh, impact on how we understand what Jesus is going to teach us in a few minutes. Because did you know, there's a difference between crowds and disciples. Crowds follow the teacher because they like the teacher. Disciples follow the teacher because they want to become like the teacher. Crowds are going to follow the teacher because they want the teacher to do something for them. Disciples are going to follow the teacher because they want to know what they can do for the teacher. Crowds are going to give the teacher their applause. Disciples are going to give the teacher their lives. Crowds follow the teacher because they want him to make them happy, but disciples follow because the teacher is their happiness. There's a difference between crowds and disciples. And so when Matthew writes that Jesus began to teach them, we need to know that he's talking to his disciples, this group that came up on the mountainside with him. And maybe on the mountainside, even looking down the mountain, at the crowds, he begins to explain to them, hey, there's a difference between what my disciples are and what the crowds are. 
And that difference is bigger than just where you're located on this countryside in Galilee. He said, there's going to be a difference in your lives. There's going to be a difference in your priorities, in your values, in your attitudes. And then he goes on to explain what he means next in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in a passage of scripture that we typically call the Beatitudes. He says this, he says, you're going to hear, you've probably been taught all your lives, trust the human spirit, but I'm telling you, my disciples, disciples know that blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, you've probably heard, you know, happiness is the ultimate goal in life. But blessed are those who mourn. He says, the world is going to insist to you that you've got to proudly promote yourself to get ahead. But my disciples are going to find out that blessed are the meek. He said, you probably, you probably have lived your lives thinking that pleasure and wealth and comfort are the ultimate goal in life. But I'm telling you, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said, the crowd is going to say, Man, you've got to get people back when they harm you. But my disciples are going to find out that blessed are the merciful. The world's going to tell you that you've got to keep up an outward appearance to look good. He said, but blessed are those who worry more about their heart, who are pure in their heart. He says to them, you know, the crowd is going to argue with you that you're a coward if you back down. But I'm telling you, blessed are the peacemakers. And finally, he tells, tells them, you probably think the world saying to you, that it's okay to compromise in order to be liked. But I'm telling you, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And what Jesus does here is he's taking all the values and the priorities and the attitudes of the world and he's turning them upside down. He's saying, my disciples are going to see the world differently and they're going to live in the world differently than the crowd. He's saying, what you put a high value on as disciples, the crowd is going to see as a liability. And what the crowd values so highly, you're going to see as of little or no worth. There's a difference between crowds and disciples. And we take our time to work through this because I think that for the disciples and maybe for us sometimes as followers of Jesus, it, it brings up attention. So if you can imagine his disciples sitting on that hillside or that mountain and they're listening to Jesus teach... And they're looking down and they see a crowd. Maybe they thought to themselves, Jesus, this is a really nice sermon, but in a minute you're going to say amen, hopefully before the Steelers kick off and the restaurants fill up. And we are going to have to go back down this mountainside and live our lives amongst the crowd. You know, we could look down there. There are people that we work with, people that we sell our products to, people that we live beside. There are people down there we would call our friends. There are people we have to admit that are our family. And we're going to go back down there and we have to live our lives with this faith as a disciple amongst the crowd. Jesus, what's that supposed to look like? We have a faith that's different, but we live amongst the world. We live amongst the crowd. Maybe you've wrestled with that before. Maybe you felt that tension in your life. You're a disciple, but you also live amongst the crowd. Throughout, throughout the course of sort of time since Jesus taught this, there's sort of been two uh, at the opposite ends of a spectrum reactions to this or ways to handle this. The first one is to isolate. Throughout time, there have been those who are disciples who said, the best way to do this is just to isolate ourselves from the crowd. Have as little to do with the crowd as possible. If you think of the crowd or the world as a swimming pool, the isolators would say, let's build a big fence around the swimming pool so we don't have any chance of falling in. Now, now they realize that our faith needs to be shared, but those, that the faith is more like missiles launched over the fence into the pool. The problem with this, when it goes to this extreme, is it can turn into judgmentalism. 
because when all we're about is how we're different and better and holier and righter than the crowd, then our focus becomes maintaining that writer and holierness rather than reaching the crowd. Now, there's sort of an opposite reaction, and that's to imitate the crowd, just to become just like the crowd. Sure, we might come together at church on Sunday and, and we we'll all share the same faith, but when we leave, our faith stays behind. When we go out into the crowd, our lives look exactly like those around us. If the isolators built a wall around the swimming pool, the imitators basically put on scuba gear and dive in. And the problem with this is it can turn into hypocrisy. Because whether we want to admit it or not, the crowd knows if we're a disciple, our lives are supposed to look different than theirs. We're supposed to have a difference in our lives. And maybe you're even here today, and you've been wrestling with whether you want to follow Jesus, but you haven't made that decision yet because your experience with some of his followers has been that his disciples can be really judgmental. Or his disciples can be, they're just, they're just hypocrites. And if you felt that way, I really hope that you're going to listen to what Jesus says next. Because, because what we're going to see is that he's going to show us this. That his disciples neither isolate nor imitate the crowd. His disciples engage the crowd. And Jesus says, okay, when you're wrestling with this, I want you to think of it like this. He says, you, if you're my disciple, you, disciples, are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. In other words, what he's saying there is that when you bump up against this tension, when you're trying to figure out, you know, I have a faith that's different than the crowd, but I, I, I live in a world surrounded by the crowd, how's that supposed to look? Or, or whenever you feel the tension of being pulled to either isolate or to imitate, Jesus says, hey, I want you to think of yourself. Just, take, just think of yourself like this. You're salt. You know what I mean? And maybe you and probably his disciples were thinking, not really. What are you talking about? His meaning there isn't readily apparent. But in order to understand what his disciples may have understood him to mean, we have to begin to think about what would they have thought of when he said, you are the salt. Now, if you're anything like me, I love salt, but I really don't think about where it comes from. I know that this salt came from Sam's Club, and you can buy a lot of it there. Where it came from before that, I have no idea. But when his disciples heard, you are the salt, they would have all known exactly where the salt in their lives came from. Because they knew they lived in Israel. And in Israel, there are three main water bodies or water systems. See, in the north, this is called the Sea of Galilee. They were actually near this when Jesus was giving this teaching. And you can't see it really clearly on the map, but there's a river that flows between these two bodies of water called the Jordan River. A lot of cool things in the Bible happen in the Jordan River. And at the bottom is something called the Dead Sea. It's a quarter mile below sea level, and the Dead Sea is a perfect name for it because the Dead Sea was 33% salt, and nothing could live in it. In fact, just to give you kind of a perspective, it's nine times saltier than the Atlantic Ocean. And when Jesus' listeners that day would have heard, you are the salt, they would have known that all of their salt in the region came from the Dead Sea. Because here's what would happen. Storms and winds would come and blow the water of the Dead Sea to the shores, and it would get in little pockets and craters and holes, and then the storms would stop and the winds would die down and the sun would come out, 
and the water portion of the solution would evaporate, but behind would be left these incredibly beautiful and incredibly useful salt deposits that kind of look like this. This is a picture from the Dead Sea. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, I think the disciples would have this kind of a picture in their mind. Because this is where their salt typically came from. Now when you look at this picture, I want you to, what do you observe? What do you see? I think what stands out to me is that this salt is impossible to miss. It's remarkable. It's what your eyes are drawn towards. And Jesus' disciples, I think, would have heard, hey, if you're the salt of the earth, your lives are to stand out like salt. Your lives are to be impossible to miss. Because disciples are salt, and salt stands out. And disciples stand out in the crowd. Disciples stand out. I want to ask you today, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, does your life stand out? Does your life stand out? If we ask the guy that sits in the cubicle next to you, if we ask your bus driver, if we ask your next door neighbor, if we ask the waiter who serves you your food at the restaurant, if we ask the guy driving in front of you and said, did you know that so-and-so is a disciple of Jesus, would they be shocked and in disbelief? Or would they say, oh yeah, oh yeah, no doubt, I knew that, everybody knows that. If people looked at how you lived your life, your attitudes, your values, priorities, does your life stand out? Does your life look anything like this compared against a world that's dry and spiritually barren and against spaces that promote life, or say that they offer life, but really just conceal death. Does your life stand out? Now, if we kind of wonder, okay, what does a life that stands out look like? Jesus actually has a suggestion about that. Another time when he had just his disciples with him, uh, a little bit later in his life, he's teaching them, and he says this to them. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you... Jesus says, hey, if you want a life that stands out, if you want to live a life as a disciple that's impossible to miss, if you want to live a life that stands out in such a way that even the people in your life that do not share the same faith as you could actually explain your faith for you because they've seen it lived out through you, do this. He says, you can save your money on a t-shirt. If you have one, that's fine, but you don't have to buy a t-shirt. And you don't need to put a bumper sticker on your car. It's okay if you do, but that's really not important because if you want everyone to know that you're my disciple what you do. You love one another. You live a life of love towards one another. He said, we have a world that's divided and hateful, and everybody's against everybody. We have a world where people are selfish and prideful and all about getting ahead. He says, this is what you do. If you live a life of love towards others in that world, people are going to know you're my disciple because you're just going to be so different than everybody else. And I just want you to know, he's not talking about a feeling of love. You know, like, I don't want you walking out of here today saying, I just got to feel some more love. He's talking about action. Because this is what it is. He says, only love shown is love known. Only love shown is love known. That's why you bake fudge for your girlfriend. Don't do that. Only love shown is love known. Actually, here's an example. I, I, we could talk about this for a year. I just want to give you a quick example and we'll move on. Hey, um, you might have been here in December. We had a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert here at our church. You probably heard about it once or twice. Pretty popular, and the tickets sold out really quickly. Now, here's the thing about the tickets at Stephen Curtis Chapman. They were 
general mission for the most part. Like, first come, first serve. So if you've come to our church for a while and you wanted to come to Stephen Curtis Chapman concert, in the words of Mike Lang, the radio broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Penguins, you said, I've seen that fish before. If I want to have a good seat, I'm showing up early because this place is going to be packed. So sure enough, as expected, the night of the concert, a lot of y'all from Community Line, I sound like Pastor Dave now, a lot of Ian's guys from Community Lines Church, you came early because you wanted to get a good seat. And as expected, the place filled up. And as expected, close to showtime, it was really, really hard to find a seat and impossible to find a good seat. But here was what was unexpected, but not really that surprising. Here's what stood out that I saw. As people who either didn't know enough or didn't care enough to show up early began to come and the seats were all taken, I saw people from our church begin to stand up and give up their seats. It was amazing. People who'd come early to get their seat would stand up and say, oh, you need three? Well, we have an extra one beside us. There's just two of us. We're going to go sit in the back corner. You, You can take our seat. Oh, you, you need an end seat because you might need to get out? That's, that's fine. I'll give you my seat. I'll go stand in the back. People from our church literally stood up and stood out by giving up their seats for others. See, that stands out. And disciples stand out. Jesus continues. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, once again, what he's talking about here isn't really readily apparent. You know, it's really clear he's talking to first century listeners, so he's not giving a chemistry lesson on what happens to the molecular structure of salt when it breaks down. I think it's better when we look at what he says next to to understand that he's talking about salt's purpose or its effect. Or what salt does when he says saltiness. So what did salt do in their world? Salt did a ton. Salt was seasoning for food, kind of like we use it today. They didn't have refrigerators, so salt was critical for food preservation. In sacrifices in Leviticus, people were were commanded to use salt as part of the sacrifice. When babies were born, they rubbed salt on them as kind of like an antiseptic. It was even a fire catalyst. They would cook with salt in order to make the fire harder and so, so much more. So it's not even really clear when he's talking about salt, saltiness or its purpose, what specific effect it was accomplishing or what he was referring to. But I think it's better to step back and say to ourselves, okay, if these are all the purposes of salt, what's in common amongst all of these for salt to do what salt does, for it to have its saltiness? And here's what I think it is. Salt must make contact. In in all of these things here, if salt doesn't make any contact with that which it's affecting, it's in Jesus' words, not good for anything. See, salt must make contact. It can't remain separate. It must touch. It must connect for it to be salty, for it to accomplish its purpose. And that's what Jesus is saying here about our lives. He's saying this, disciples don't just stand out. Disciples also stand in the world. Disciples contact the world. Disciples stand out and in the crowd. Now here's the best illustration I've ever seen for explaining this. I read a book in college by a lady named Becky Pipper, and she used this illustration. She said, if you want to know what Jesus is talking about, I want you to think of yourselves like this. 
like a salt shaker. Now, what do you, what do you observe about this salt shaker? The salt inside, it's concealed, it's contained, it's safe, it's dry, it's comfortable, it's secure, it's protected, it's happy. It's in here probably hearing sermons about salt and going to salt groups and reading Saltianity today and listening to Salt Love Radio every time it drives around the town. And what's inside is clearly visible to what's outside, and what's outside is clearly visible to what's inside, but there's a protective barrier. Until you know what happens. Someone at the table says, pass the salt. And when the receiver of the salt gets the container or the salt shaker, they don't just set it on the table next to their steak and admire it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to turn it over. What they would do is they would turn it over and pour that salt out. And only when the salt contacts the steak or contacts the burger does it have the effect it was designed to do. If it just stays in the shaker, if it just stays in its comfortable zone, It never is salty. It might as well be sand or rocks because it doesn't matter what it is if it just stays in the salt shaker. And Jesus is saying, this is my point. If you're my disciple, you stand out and in the world. You don't expect the world to cram itself through the little hole if it wants to come inside and get salt. Salt shakers are designed so that the salt can come out and affect the objects objects around it. Does your life not only stand out, Does your life stand in the crowd? Are you in contact with people who do not have the same faith as you? And I feel like I need to be transparent. In my life, this has been a challenge. I grew up in a home with Christian parents. Grew up going to church three times a week. And then I became a pastor. Most of the people I naturally come into contact with in my life are believers. They're disciples of Jesus. So this is what I've had to learn, and maybe you've learned this in your life. I have to be intentionally in the crowd. It doesn't just automatically happen for me. So some of the things that we have done to try to be intentional is we've gotten to know the neighbors that live around us. Even invited some to come into our home and to just have fun and spend time together. We've volunteered in community organizations, not just faith-based ones, but actually ones that have no faith foundation. Because we want to make friends with people who don't share the same faith. I've even rekindled some athletic pursuits from when I was younger. And I've learned that I'm not as athletic as I was when I was younger. And I've learned that, man, it's great to make friends with people who believe different things than me. It stretches my faith. It stretches my thoughts. And there's some great people in our community. And I don't say this because I'm a shining example. I'd love to march out 15 people that I won to Christ because of being in in the crowd. I'm not able to do that. I say this because I know it's challenging. I know it's challenging. But Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And if you're going to be the salt of the earth, you're my disciple. And disciples stand out and in the crowd. Now, as we get ready to wrap up, there's, there's a question here. Then maybe you've wondered it. I think Jesus' disciples were probably wondering it. You know, why, why do you care so much about the crowd, Jesus? His disciples might have thought to him, Jesus, we're here with you. What more do we need? They might have been looking down that hill at the crowd and they thought, hey, they heard what you had to say. They made their choice. We hiked up this mountainside to be with you. Now you're telling us we've got to hike back down and go be with them. 
Jesus, why can't we just stay here with you? Why does the crowd matter so much to you? Why do you want us to stand out and in the crowd? And here's what they would come to realize, and I want you to come to realize this. You were once part of the crowd. You were once part of the crowd. And when you were part of the crowd, Jesus stood out and in for you. He wasn't content to leave you down the mountain. When you were part of the crowd, he stood out and in for you. He stood out by leaving his comfortable, cozy place in heaven with the Father and coming to our crowded world. And he stood out by living as only God himself could, the most exemplary life ever lived. Jesus stood out by living the only life ever lived that was truly worthy of God's approval. But he didn't keep that approval to himself. He stood in your place and in my place on the cross. He stood in our place taking upon himself the guilt and condemnation that we deserved and giving to us the approval and righteousness that only he deserved. Only because Jesus stood out and in for you are we able to truly stand out and in the crowd for others. And really think about it, think about it, you weren't always a disciple. Somebody at some point in your life had to stand out and in the crowd so that you would know the love and acceptance and forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. Someone stood out and in for you. Someone did as we're talking about in this, in this series. Someone passed the salt to you. Someone got out of their salt shaker so that you could experience the salt that Jesus wanted to bring in your life. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to keep this to yourself. I gave this to you, and I want you to pass it to others. Now, next week, Pastor Denny is going to come, and I realize that this message this morning was more big picture, giving you a metaphor to understand our calling to share our faith. That's intentional. Next week, Pastor Denny is going to come, and he's going to share more specifically some more practical things about how you can pass the salt, how you can share your faith. But I want to ask you, where does this land with you today? What's God saying to your heart? Maybe he's saying to you, from this image that we looked at, maybe he's saying to you, look, I'm just blending into the barren desert. You know, I might come here on Sundays and talk about my faith, but when I go out into the world, I just blend in. Maybe you need to say to people when they ask you, how was your weekend? You need to take an opportunity to say, I went to, I went to church service yesterday, and this is what God did in my life. When people say, how are you? Rather than saying, fine, maybe you need to say, you know, here's what I'm realizing about Jesus. Look for opportunities to stand out. Or, or maybe in your life you realize, hey, look, I might look really good on the outside. I might look full of life, but there's some sin. There's some things that can be deadly to my Christian life hiding under the surface. And you, you really can't share your faith because the people around you know about that. And, and so you, you, you feel like, I can't share this because they know how I live my life. I, I don't stand out. I, in fact, I'm doing things that are worse than what they're doing. Maybe Jesus is saying to you, look, you got to repent. You need to make some changes. You, you need to stand out by making changes to some things in your life. Or, or, or maybe for you, it's been, it's been this. You've kind of been like in the salt shaker. 
You've kind of been just, hey, I come to church on Sunday and I love Community Alliance Church, but your faith stays here. Maybe you need to be intentionally in the crowd around you, looking for opportunities, not just to spend all your time with other Christians, but opportunities to build relationships, not notches in your belt, relationships with people who don't have the same faith as you. And then I think to myself, what would happen if we as a church embraced this concept? What would happen if we as a church said, look, we're going to pass the salt in our community. We are going to get out of the salt shaker. We're going to stand out and in the crowd. I mean, think about it. In a couple minutes, I'm going to say amen. I promise, in a couple minutes, I'm going to say amen. And we're going to open the doors. And just like a salt shaker, we're going to spill and slip and slide all the way back into our neighborhoods and in our communities and our work places. What if we saw this as our vision, that when the message ends on Sunday, that's not the end of the message. It's really the beginning, because we as salt coming out of a salt shaker are going to pour out into the world around us and take what Jesus has done in our lives and share it with those we come into contact with. I know one thing that would happen, just as Pastor Denny was saying earlier, we'd probably have to put more crosses along the back wall, because God would give us a heart for the lost in a way that we haven't had that heart before. Man, we, we would have people we're praying for. People, we're, we're, we're asking God, help me to share, God. I know I'm, I'm a little bit scared and it's uncomfortable, but God, they, they need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And then the other thing that's going to happen is we'd probably be putting crosses back that wall too and ordering more paper because we'd have crosses full of names. Wouldn't that be amazing? And Jesus is saying to us, look, you're the salt. The world is not going to know the love of Christ unless we as salt stand out and in the crowd. Now, here's what we're going to do, because I forget really easily some things. I'm guessing there's probably some people here who do as well. At the Exodus this morning, we have some high tables with little packets of salt on them. Now, don't take them home and salt your driveway. We'll run out. <laughs> little packets of salt. If God spoke into your heart this morning, you said, I want to I pass the salt. I want to stand out and in the crowd. I know it won't be easy. I've got some things to work on. I've got some learning to do. But really, like, I, want, I want to remember this. I want you to grab a packet of salt or a couple and put it somewhere that your hands normally go during the week. In, in a purse, in, in a pocket, you know, on, on a kitchen counter, somewhere where you're going to see it. And whenever you see that packet, I want you to, I want you to say a really simple prayer. God, help me see how you want me to stand out and in the crowd today. Help me to see how you want me to stand out in the crowd as I enter this grocery store, as I, as I go into my office building, as I go to my customer's home. How do you want me to stand out in the crowd? Put that salt packet somewhere. and Remember, you are the salt of the earth. Let's pass the salt. Let me pray for you. Father, I... I I just thank you. I thank you that Jesus teaches so simply. He just gives us these things in salt, right? Like it's 2,000 years ago, but it's still, we all know what salt is today. And so he gives us these teachings that we can so simply understand. But God, I pray that we'll go past understanding to applying it to our lives. Father, I pray that you'll use this community of believers here at Community Alliance Church to be salt and impact our community for you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Two quick things, don't forget, if you've got a child in uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, family experience is going to start in 10 minutes in Kid Stuff Theater, and if you have questions that you get when you share your faith, or you want to know about sharing your faith, or you're wondering, what do I say if someone asks this when I'm sharing my faith, 
Email them this week to questions at butlercac.org. We look forward to interacting with those on February 16th. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you later.